0: Hi, everyone. It's Then Again with Ken. And Glenn. <laughs> That's both of us. All right, so uh, those of you that listen in a consecutive basis to these things know that last time we claimed we couldn't talk long, but we did, about Halloween. This time, we're going to claim that we can talk until you turn off your computer and run screaming from the room, and we will not stop talking because our subject is...
1: J.R.R. Tolkien. Yes! The master. You folks. Part one. <laughs> Let <laughs> us yeah, make exactly. this very clear right, at the beginning. Right,
0: right, Yeah, for, yeah first off, there are going to be multiple parts. We're not even going to say how many there are going to be, but there's going to be many. Tolkien and his works have been such a huge part of my life, and Glenn, I know yours as well, that it, it is kind of hard to pick a, time, a thing to start with. But you know what? Let's let's, let's, let's break it down to personal. Uh, like the first time you came across his works.
1: The first time... I was in elementary school, and it was The Animated Hobbit. Oh, my God. So I did not read the books first. I saw The Animated Hobbit, the Rankin and Bass. Right, Somehow, in little Blue Ridge, Georgia, the Blue Ridge Elementary School had a copy on, I guess, 16 16 millimeter? Yeah. Of The Hobbit movie. And the school owned it. So... (laughs) I don't know. That's wild. And at any time there was a lull or around the holidays or the teachers just wanted to kill some time, they would show a movie. And so therefore, half the time, I don't even know what the other movie the school owned was, but we owned The Hobbit. <laughs> so The Hobbit played, and I never that got... That
0: and the Ten Commandments.
1: <laughs> I, I can't even remember the other one. I Obviously, it was not that. very influential. But, <laughs> uh, but they played The Hobbit, and I never got tired wow. of watching that wow. thing. And then through inquisitive research, I realized, huh, there's a book. <laughs> it's a book that that's based There's a on. book that's based on, and it's right there in the library. That's a place where they have books, kids. <laughs> um, and I checked that book out, and then I read it, and I loved it. And I was uh, like, wow. Is and there something perhaps more? And, and it, well, I went to put it back, and <laughs> uh, what was right next to it but Lord the of Fellowship the of the Ring. Oh, my God. And so I started, I started reading it then.
0: What grade would that have been?
1: Oh goodness. Fifth, Fifth probably. No, okay.
0: oh, ten or eleven. I was
1: I was ten or eleven, so that was
0: 81, 82?
1: Yeah. Right and around that, eighty. Okay, okay. Which which should say something because that's also right smack in the dab of the Star Wars days. Yeah. And so yeah. it was big enough to take my attention
0: from that. And so And let me let me just tell you, dear listener, something that was large enough to take a young Glenn Kyle's attention away from Star Wars. Is pretty right. big,
1: right? And, and, and now, and now it didn't leap to the forefront because it was the Star Wars days, and I was Star sure, Wars sure. boy. Sure, sure. But 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 then when Return of the Jedi happened, and that was it for a long time. What we in the business <laughs> call uh, the dark times, <laughs> I began to look for other things.
0: There's your real dark ages, people.
1: And that's when I went back to Tolkien, right. and, and started looking at that, right. Uh, and you know, to be honest, I did not get into the Silmarillion until later. I know I, who, probably, I know who got you into the Silmarillion. <laughs> You're talking to him right now. We'll get to that in a second.
0: Yeah. So for me, you know, much like yourself, it was finding the books in school. Uh, I'm a little bit older than Glenn and I was so I was in high school in the late 70s, and that's where I ran into it. Actually, yeah, probably eighth or ninth grade, probably ninth grade. I came across it by going into the library, which I did on a daily basis because I was taking library science as a ninth grader. And uh, the librarian, the school librarian, had put on the board, on a bulletin board, a little display about Lord of the Rings. I saw this, huh, that looks like an interesting, I I like that title, Lord of the Rings. So I picked up Fellowship of the Ring and and read it. So I started, I started with Lord of the Rings and then went back and read The Hobbit afterwards, which I'm kind of glad that's how I did it. Because, uh, you know, The Hobbit is a children's book. And was meant, I mean, to, was be meant to be. was meant to be. Literally, he wrote it for his sons uh, and daughter, you know, for, as a treat back in the day. Um, so, so, yeah, so I read that first and then went back later on, knowing I was going back to read a children's book, but also to get a little bit of background about some of the stuff in The Lord of the Rings. But I was just immediately taken by it. See, I don't know about you, but, you know, because I was a little bit older when I came to it, I already had started getting, you know, into the history of England, British history, <laughs> and medieval history. So, you know, I was already picking up on the resonances of that in the book. And then, of course, when I was a senior, The Silmarillion was published. So The Silmarillion, of course, being the vast legendarium. Yeah. Which is to- the word that
1: Tolkien uses. Well, oh, such a great word. Well, we'll, we'll take a second to yeah. talk. So, so Tolkien writes The Hobbit first. Yeah. Pre-World War II. Yeah. Then during the war, they start releasing the Lord of the Rings well, in three well, volumes after everyone, the war. Well,
0: his, his his publishers, you know, The Hobbit is this runaway success. Right. I mean, it was just was bestseller, all the things. They said, "Hey, we need a sequel to this," and he said, "He gives them the Cimmerillion. and they're like, "Well, he gives them a the box." Well, well I'm, I'm just saying okay, that, that's yeah. what he does. It's, it's yes. not finished, it, it, and then that's part of the. Th- problem is, yeah. is Tolkien, not being a businessman in the literary world at that point, he gives them his treasure, the the, the the you know, the book that he actually began writing in 1917 when he was at the Somme. Well, he was at the Somme in 1916. Uh, but oh. anyway, when he was, you know, on the front, World War One, right. you know, when he was, you know, he starts writing this thing. And so it has grown over the years and, and sort of The Hobbit kind of tied into it a little bit, unintentionally, but it, yeah. it became embroiled in or entangled with. The similar again so yeah he gives them that to publish and they're like uh can you have something that's an actual book that's an yeah. actual story and so and so then he gives them the Lord of the Rings and so it starts coming out yeah I mean with wartime publishing vagaries of materials and paper and all that yeah it starts slowly coming out and I don't, I don't think it's complete it's completely all three volumes are released until the early 50s and of course Tolkien never intended even the Lord of the Rings to be three books it's one book it's right. the Lord of the Rings. But because it's so big and so vast and because paper is so scarce and ink is so scarce and it's the war and all that, and after the war, it is broken up into three books. Right. So, yeah, that's what because, comes out.
1: Because, side note, even though it they're all published post-World War II, remember, yeah. kids, yeah. rationing did not end, end in, in the U.K. Right. until 1955. That's exactly. how bad they had it. So, exactly. anyway.
0: Yeah. So, so yeah, so, so all that comes out. And then, I mean, it does okay. It doesn't do badly, but really starts catching on in the 60s. In the U.S. and in Britain, with the counterculture movement, and then it just becomes the juggernaut of phenomenon that we all know it as. And eventually, you know, Allen and Unwin are like, "Yeah, we give it, give us some more of that sweet, sweet Tolkien writing." Right. And, and, and now they're ready to publish *The Silmarillion*, and he basically spends the rest of his life trying to get it in order because Tolkien was infamously disorganized and, and continued to, to rewrite
1: and revise and, and revise and and because, because he's good he's
0: a, well he's a, exactly he's a perfectionist and he wants the story to be exactly what it needs to be but also he writes two or three different versions of the same story which is marvelous because what tolkien is doing and glenn you know this and this is just one of the most beautiful and heartbreaking things ever is uh one of the things that tolkien is doing is he is consciously creating a mythology and just as there can be different versions of one story in mythology, Tolkien is writing different versions of stories in his mythology. But when right. it comes time to publish, you got to kind of have one story.
1: And, and he doesn't want—I don't, th- does th- I, I don't
0: think he wants to. Oh, I don't think he wants to either. And the, the beautiful, heartbreaking part of all this is one of the reasons Tolkien is doing this is, you know, Tolkien comes to young manhood in that pre-World War I generation. But he has these pals he was at school with, the, C- the TCBS Club, the T Society— T- Tea Club Barovian Society. It was this it's the name they had for this library. He and his friends met in to have tea and talk about the issues of the day and talk about art. And, and it's just it's just so English. It's so, it really is. so it's so fantastic. But he and each of his friends are kind of artists in different mediums. Tolkien is words. Some guys, another guy's music, another guy's you know poetry, and other guys. And they all die but one during World War One. And Tolkien, there's there's this letter where Tolkien talks about that where, he, where, where there's this moment where he realizes there's only two of us left. This group of six or seven guys that we were going that, that we that we decided we were going to be a movement. We decided we're going to create a new legendarium, a new mythos for England. We're going to change the world we're gonna, through art. We're going to change the world through art. Oh my God, it's so beautiful. That's what they're going to do. And then World War One. I'm tearing up right now, man. I got tears in my eyes. And then World War One kills most of them, literally. Yeah. Tolkien writes to his friend, "We're the only two left. It's us." And now Tolkien, and he's it's in his letters and his writings. He's he, you know, and he's he's admits this in interviews and things. You know that he felt this huge burden. We've got to do. I, I've got to fulfill the promise that I made to my friends who died in the mud in Flanders. I've got to. Right. But he's also got to make a living, so he's got to teach. Right. He's got to teach college, <laughs> uh, which he does. Uh, and to me, it's the the flip side, his scholarly side. Is also wonderful because ah, Beowulf.
1: Well, and see, that's, oh my God, Beowulf we, the poem. We all think of Tolkien as the author of the the Lord of the Rings and, right. and things, but his first uh, fame that, that, that was that was his hobby. Yeah, I mean, it exactly, was, it that's was, his hobby. It was a self-consuming I mean, hobby. It, it was a hobby to change the world, but it was right. You know, it's not how he's he was he was a linguist. He was he was a philologist.
0: Exactly, that was his
1: job for his whole life. He,
0: he worked on the OED, the first edition of the Oxford English Dictionary. He's there. He's working under CTO Nians which means nothing to any of you. The CTO (laughs) Nions is this giant in linguistics. And so, yeah, he's working on that. But he's also, like like you do when you're a professor, as you know, you got to publish. But he publishes essays and papers on Beowulf, the quintessential Anglo-Saxon, the the masterpiece of Anglo-Saxon poetry. And he has this radical idea. Let's stop teaching it as a linguistic curiosity and teach it as literature. Let's teach it as an amazing, cool story that excited people in the Mead Hall. And he revolution Tolkien revolutionized in his essay, Beowulf, the Monsters and the Critics, revolutionized the way that poem is taught to this day. Well, you day. could say he
1: revolutionized the study of Anglo-Saxon, period. Well, yes.
0: Yes, he absolutely did. Because and, people
1: started not just pulling it apart as an, as an ancient, right. quote-unquote, language, the, the, but as something that could— That was alive and still was alive part of That was alive and them. could express yeah. ideas and yeah. thoughts and fears and hopes and dreams and all the things that literature is supposed to do. So Tolkien has able to take that passion and— transfer that into the passion of what he's exactly, writing Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, the t- to one point, too, uh, because this is also interesting, we have this popular image today that World War One was seen by everyone who experienced it as this great tragedy that was a total loss and meant nothing. It was all a waste. Well, the generation that fought it, including Tolkien— lamented vastly the loss of life and right. the loss of his friends. But, but, but they believed that the cause for which they had fought was just, and after the war, they were glad to have fought for that cause.
0: And wanted to make meaning of it. Exactly. Yes.
1: Exactly. So they didn't sit around lamenting life the way the ever-so-famous war poets would have right, you believe right. that generation all did. I mean,
0: that's that's another absolute reaction to it, yes, but that's not the only.
1: Exactly. exactly. So he goes on and he writes, so— all this, back to Ken saying that he started reading the Silmarillion, <laughs> yes, which is basically the story of the creation of this world from right. the beginning to right before oh. The Hobbit. In the
0: beginning, you- there was Yuvatar, and he made the music of the... Eru, the one. Oh, the creator. Oh. Oh, my God, it's so good. Um, but you read that first in, when well, it I came read, out I, well, in the 70s. I, well, I, well, I read it when it came out. Which was, which, I, I own the 1977 hardback version that I bought in 1977 to this day. It is in my library at home right now. And it's probably worth something. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know, though. Boy, it's, it's seen a lot of use. Uh, Even <laughs> the, better. Some of the dust jacket is gone, yes. but the but the main cover is there. So, so
1: Tolkien died in 73.
0: Died in 73, which which that's another you know, that's another funny thing. So, you know, the first edition of Tolkien that I read was the uh was the uh Oh my god, was the we just got the five minute we haven't even we haven't even we haven't even scratched the first paragraph of the prologue Oh my god, we haven't even talked about the baboon spider that bit him when he was two. (laughs) (laughs) So Simmering came out seventy seven. I still got a copy uh, of it. And
1: I said he'd already he died in seventy three. Right. So
0: yeah. So so yeah. So the version of of the Lord of the Rings that I read, of course, was the three paperbacks published by Ballantine Publishing. You know, this is how obscure the knowledge level is here. I'm quoting who published the various paperback editions. <laughs> this, is, this is what a fan people collect I, them. I, but but this yes. is the level of fandom. This is Tolkien is the only thing that I truly will say. I rise to the level of fandom. So on the back on the back of these books, there was a picture of Tolkien. You know, it's there he was. The the and it was of course the jolly old you know the Tolkien, Oxford Don. The, the Oxford Don's got his pipe and there's Oxford and an oak tree in the background because he loved his oak trees. On that it said it said when he died and I was like seventy three and I'm like I wish I'd read these when he was alive and I remember thinking that I wish I'd read these when he was alive and then thinking what difference would that have made? <laughs> but then part of was like maybe I could have met him. That actually I remember thinking maybe I could have met him. I mean I've thought that and I was only like <laughs> right. nine months old exactly. when he died. Exactly. So so. But the uh, but the thing is, when you get to, you know, the 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 Hobbit is a children's story. The Lord of the Rings is simply, it's an it's an it's adult. It's classic. It's a narrative. It's a narrative. It's narrative fiction. You get to the Cimmerillion and now we are talking truly. We're talking Paradise Lost level stuff. We're, I mean, we're talking Absolutely. universal epic, world epic, world literature type stuff. And it just blew me away. It just blew me away. And I remember reading some of the. Uh, uh, reviews of it at the time saying, "Oh, it's so dense and you know it's it's not like really. reading the Bible." And, and I'm like, the the level of creation and subcreation and the specificity of what this world view was, and I'm you know people in your J.R.R. Martin, who's just ripping off J.R.R. Tolkien, whatever is R. R. George R.R. R. Martin, not J.R.R., G.R.R. <laughs> R. Martin, with your Game of Thrones, and oh he's so is the world is so out. Yeah, okay, fine, sure, but what Tolkien's doing with the Simurgh is he's giving you the cosmological theology and then letting it trickle down into every aspect of the world. And uh, I don't think all due respect to Martin that he did that. I don't think Harry Potter does that. I mean Tolkien does that. He sees the world and the meta world and and how and how all of his characters function in it. Uh, whereas I think and and nothing against Martin. I mean but right. he's more of a ground up which is also fine, but you give me you give me the Cimmerian any day of the week. So when Glenn and I met, jousting, and realized that we had all the same books in common, uh, <laughs> I asked him if he read. And I think I, I think we were both working at the History Center, the Atlanta History Center. When I said, "Have you read the Cimmerian?" You hadn't read it. I hadn't yet. read it. No. And, and I and I just went, "Oh!" And I and I in the strongest terms possible urged you to read it. And then when you read it, when you finished it, you or maybe you were still in the process of reading. You started, but you came to me and you went,
1: "Yes, it's." <laughs> It's so good. It's so good. It's so many different levels. But we
0: quote it routinely around here. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We do. <laughs> we do. Oh, my God. But right. we'll have to tell you why on another day. On podcast. Another podcast. So, this has just been just the briefest of introduction to our obsession with J.R. Tolkien. We'll talk to you again soon.
1: Goodbye. Goodbye. Then Again with Ken and Glenn is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. If you've enjoyed listening to Then Again with Ken and Glenn, please make sure that you subscribe and help us out by writing a review. To learn more about the Northeast Georgia History Center, visit www.negahc.org.